everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Press Play News. My name's Natalia. I am the news editor. I'm Jillian. I'm the editor-in-chief. I'm Michael. I'm a staff writer, and I do the social media manager. So on today's topics, we have no more masks and other COVID-19 updates, the rise of racially motivated violence, and the Israel and Palestine conflict. So on May 10th, FAU sent out an email announcing their change in the rules regarding COVID-19 safety. Masks and social distancing will no longer be forced on any FAU campus. This announcement came before the CDC's statement on May 13th. The CDC now states that individuals who are fully vaccinated no longer need to wear a mask or socially distance. They can resume the same activities as before the pandemic. The qualifier, of course, is that, you know, individuals still have to follow like policies in their area and local businesses regarding masks and safety precautions. So um, just because you're fully vaccinated, if there's a local business that requires masks, you, you still have to wear it. This announcement, again, only applies to those who have been fully vaccinated. So if you're not fully vaccinated or have only received your first shot of Pfizer or Moderna, the CDC still suggests that you wear a face covering, avoid crowds, social distance, all that kind of stuff. This week, Boca Raton lifted its citywide mask mandate. This is following Governor DeSantis' suspension of COVID-19 restrictions two weeks ago. Also this week, uh, DeSantis announced that he will pardon any Floridian facing repercussions for not following COVID-19 restrictions. So this would include business owners as well as private citizens. And on March 15th, the superintendent of Palm Beach County Schools, Dr. Donald Finoy, announced that masks will be optional for the public school students in the fall. He stated, it is important to note that if health conditions deteriorate, I reserve the authority to change course. I cannot overstate that the health and safety of our students and staff is the school board's top priority. Okay, uh, yeah, I was originally mad when FAU sent us that email because that was a couple days before they, uh, the CDC said that it would be okay to, to uh, take your mask off if you're fully vaccinated. So I originally thought they jumped the gun on that and, and they probably did because they didn't know that that announcement was coming, I'm sure. But um, I always said that I would listen to the doctors and the scientists and if they had the science to say that we didn't need to wear masks that I would be okay with taking mine off when I'm fully vaccinated and I'm fully vaccinated now. So uh, I think it's good news that we're gonna get some degree back to normalcy. Um, I do think that businesses should be cautious with this for right now, um, especially because most workers, I don't, I don't know how, if workers are vaccinated or not. Um, I heard Publix's in certain areas are gonna allow you to be optional um, as soon as this week. And I, I kind of wonder if that's a little too soon, um, but I don't know, I, I, I did a little bit of reading on this and the science is there that if you're vaccinated, you can't spread it and you're safe and things like that. So, uh, and it's safe against these variants too. So um, I'm really happy that we're getting some degree of normalcy back though. Like I, I was really excited when I seen um, Fauci and Rochelle Walensky on uh, May 13th saying that, you know, that the uh, vaccines were more effective than they could ever imagine and that we could probably resume some normalcy, especially a couple months from now, but even like right now. So that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I guess I still feel like um, FAU and schools saying that they're not going to enforce masks is still premature because there are a lot of people who are not vaccinated and that's still a really big problem. Um, the percent of the population that is vaccinated versus the like unvaccinated, it, it, that's still, it's still a really big difference. Um, so I still feel like it isn't 
really safe enough. At least like I don't feel comfortable. Like I'm going to keep wearing my mask regardless of where if I am requires it because I I don't know who's vaccinated and I don't know like even if you're vaccinated you can still get it. Um you know, you're not going to die from it most likely, but you can still get it. Um and where did you read that? I, I haven't heard that you can't pass it on to others. Where did you read that? I just haven't heard that. You can, but um, I read this thing yesterday. I don't have it in my bookmarks anymore. It was on NBC News, and it said it was like the science behind the CDC's decision. I think that was the title of the article. And it, it, it said that um, the CDC has determined that it the vaccines are very effective at preventing um, transmission and um, serious illness. It didn't say that it stops it completely because it doesn't. You can still get it. It just it it noted that it, it's extremely rare for you to get coronavirus or be hospitalized for it after being vaccinated. You still can, um, depending on your vaccine, depending on other things. But they had all these um, benchmarks essentially that they hit, where they said now we think it's safe to ease restrictions, um, but. The issue is, is that no one's going to ask if you're vaccinated. So how do you know that that's the thing that gives me personally pause. And, um, and I agree with you a little bit on like, if I had to go to school tomorrow, I would keep my mask on. I, I, I would not take it off. I, I don't know about August when I'm eventually going to be back on campus, what things are going to look like or, or how comfortable I'll be. But, um, and, and I probably wouldn't go into business without a mask on right now, just out of respect for the, um, employees and stuff like that. I, you know what I mean? Um, we don't know everything about this. I, 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 I've read just like a little bit of stuff, but they did say that, um, let me see if I can find it um, in the meantime, that uh, it, it lowers transmission and that all their science shows that um, it seems to be more safe, so. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess like my biggest issue is like this honor system that a lot of places are kind of putting in place where um, like Publix, for example, they'll say, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. Um, I believe is like what the guideline for that is. But, you know, we have DeSantis who put a ban on um, like vaccine passports or proof of vaccination. And so you, you really just have no idea. And, you know, if vaccinated people are safe, um, then that's great. But what about the people who aren't um, for whatever reason? Uh, I just found this, Jillian. Um, this is from CNN. I read this somewhere else, but I guess they all write about it. And uh, it says, uh, after weeks of telling people that even fully vaccinated people might carry the virus in their noses, mouths, or throats and breathe or spit it out onto others, the CDC says their evidence now shows that this is unlikely. The reason would be the viral load. At, th at least three major studies have shown that fully vaccinated people are not likely to test positive for coronavirus, which indicates they are not carrying it in their bodies, whether they have symptoms or not. So that's the reasoning why they're saying that you can't spread it exactly. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm still gonna keep my mask on just because I like, especially me, is like I dance at a studio, so we're still required to wear masks. Um, I know for my show that we're coming up, uh, coming up like next month, we're not required to wear masks on stage because I know a lot of studios have this uh, thing with like, okay, do I allow dancers on stage with masks and whatnot and if um i'm still wearing my mask on stage just because i go to a studio with girls who are younger than me and specifically my class that i'm in we do have girls that are 
under the age limit still. So it's kind of like, even though I'm vaccinated, I know there's like a little girl who still hasn't been vaccinated and probably won't be until September or whatnot. So it's like, I feel like I'm doing my due diligence just by making sure she's not getting sick if I if I had the virus or not. Um, but I think there's like this uh, slippery slope with like, okay, you, you're not required to wear a mask in certain places, but they still have the guidelines like, okay, if you're in public transport, if you're at the airport, you're still required to wear a mask until they come out with a new announcement, say, okay, you don't have to wear a mask in an airplane now. But like, as of right now, you still have to. So I feel like people need to be wary of that, that yes, you do have an option to not wear a mask in certain places, but know that if you're like in a public place like airports, you still have to wear it. Yeah, I think these guidelines too, though, uh, especially, I think they're going to confuse some people. I already started seeing in the news that people were walking into stores and saying, well, I saw on TV that I don't have to wear a mask because they're not understanding uh, the difference between, you know, businesses enforcements of the mask and like guidelines or recommendations and not requirements. Um, and that, that's pretty sad. I mean, you could say that these that so these people need to read more and do their own research, but it is kind of a conflicting message. And even with the, the you know, the on, on public transportation or in healthcare settings, wear it, but otherwise you're good. Uh, so I, I do think that in, in some ways that this is um, kind of jumbled and kind of confusing, even though the news is good and that it, I feel bad for retail workers this week, honestly, really bad if you work in retail or a grocery store, because there's probably going to be people getting pretty belligerent. But I think that that messaging probably could have been uh, maybe a little bit more consistently or more uh, easier understood possibly. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad cases are going down. I'm glad that that we might see an end to this soon. So here at Upress Play News, we've talked about all these attacks, including the attacks on Asian Americans. We've talked about the mass shootings. We've talked about all of, the, all of this. Um, but a new government report showed that death at the hands of lone wolf attackers, which is basically they're doing it on their own. They're not, there's not like a second person, it's just them. These lone wolf attackers with easily accessible weapons present the greatest terrorist threat to the United States. In an article from CNN, the joint report that was done with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Homeland Security showed that 2019 was the most lethal year for domestic violence extremist attacks since 1995. In 2019, 32 people were killed with 24 of them being done by white extremists. The article also noted that the DHS issued a terrorism threat bulletin update warning that through 2020 and into 2021, Government facilities and personnel have been common targets of domestic violence extremists. The domestic violence extremist attacks linked to racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists have targeted worship and crowded commercial facilities and gatherings. As the number have gone up, wait, what? As the numbers have gone up, the numbers of arrests made from these um, from these violent domestic attacks have gone down. So even though the amount of attacks have increased, the attack, the arrests have been going down. So basically meaning they're not arresting people. Yeah, it, it's stuff like this because I feel like I hear a lot of people who are like, well, you know, racism 
it, it doesn't exist today or our country doesn't have a problem with it and then you hear straight <laughs> straight from the government that this has been like the worst year for racially motivated attacks and so that's where i just i guess i don't understand where the, that kind of skepticism comes from because it's just so apparent and it's so tragic um and you know what do we even begin to do about it i guess uh, you know i you know i know we have we've talked about it in its education and talking about it but you know, when you have so many people committing these violent acts and like you said they they aren't being arrested for it or being held accountable for it um it, it's really crazy yeah um th this doesn't surprise me because i think uh i read an fbi thing like early last year that said something like um that domestic uh terrorism was the greatest threat to the united states not um terrorists not terrorism from another nation or terrorism from an outside group like al-qaeda or isis or whatever that uh the biggest threat was inside was was american citizens and we do see uh anecdotally like a lot of these attacks do seem to just be like lone guys to who haven't pledged allegiance to anything or any cause that just go commit an attack or, or shoot up their workplace or something. So uh, none of this really surprised me. It's pretty terrible. Uh, 2019, it said, was the worst year. And it's it's crazy that the only year that this stuff kind of dropped was, was 2020 for a little bit because we were shuttered at home and we couldn't go to school and things like that. So that's like the only thing that stopped this stuff. Um, but now we see it with things opening again in 2021 and stuff, how it's kind of a return to business as usual with like these shootings every week and stuff like that, which is terrible to say, but um, I don't know what anyone does about this. I, I do think that there are easy solutions, but I just think there's so much like bureaucratic red tape that people don't want to take it on. You know what I mean? So it's because um, I'm not that guy that's going to be like, oh, there's no solution to this because this kind of stuff doesn't really happen in a lot of other countries, especially like the the lone wolf, like spree killers, like one like gunmen and stuff like that. So um, I just, I just have no, maybe I'm cynical. I have no hope that it's ever really going to be addressed. And it's crazy because you have the FBI telling people, telling politicians and stuff that this is the biggest threat and still. Yeah, I think that a lot of Americans like have this notion that we are the best country. Um, and <laughs> like you mentioned, the, the issues that we have are so unique to us. Like this is not an issue to the same extent in other countries that are at the same economic level as us. And that's the case for a lot of issues. <laughs> Take healthcare, for example. I saw um, a video just this morning and it was, uh, it was like a TikTok of a man who had like a giant tumor on his face and the video was the doctor saying, oh, like, I'm going to take it off for him for free. And they did the procedure and, uh, you know, remove the tumor from his face. And the first comment was, why are they pointing out that they're doing it for free? And then like, the next comment is, oh, that's from this is from America. That's why <laughs> the expectation in every other country is that you're going to get the health care that you need and you're going to get it for free or at a very little cost. Um, and I know that's not what we're talking about here, but I think it really just goes to show how so many of these problems are unique to us. And I share the same skepticism about how quickly it'll be addressed. I hope that it will be, um, it's a fixable problem. It's a systemic problem. It's a deep rooted problem, but it's one that can be addressed. 
right? Uh, but again, there's like this pride that a lot of Americans have that we're the best and that, you know, the problems are not racism, are not this, or not that. And I guess I'm, I'm just concerned that that, that mentality is going to get in the way. Yeah, um, so this happened actually a couple weeks ago, a couple of days ago, actually, um, that they were saying, I think like in certain states, they were trying to take away education on like slavery and stuff like that. And I think that also kind of, I know this isn't like 100% what we're talking about, but I think it also kind of goes to show like, we might not even, we might never be able to kind of fully educate people on this because we have people in state laws and state governments trying to take away the specific education and saying, okay, we need to teach Americanism, whatever Americanism is. And I just, it's even complicated because it's kind of like, how do you address a situation like this when you have people trying to take away the already education that we have, the bare education that we have on it? No, yeah, that directly relates to what you're talking about. Because like I said, one of the biggest ways to combat this is education and educating people on on racism, on on all that stuff. And restricting the amount of education that we give to people is not going to help. And, you know, it, it's really interesting to hear, like, those new laws and stuff that are being proposed regarding, um, you know, racist education, like, you know, making making education more American. It's like, well, that's a big part of America. I mean, most of our capital buildings were what built by slaves. So, I mean, to say that that history isn't part of American history is just not correct. And it really, that mentality again feeds into like the ignorance that breeds this kind of hate and violence. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that's a good point about the education and stuff thing. You, you brought up that, uh, Jillian, you brought up that you think that a lot of people walk around with the attitude of nothing's wrong, basically. And I think that uh, education through your whole life kind of reinforces that. When you get told over and over and over again that something can't be criticized or that you're the best at something or this, that, and the other, um, then you grow up kind of, some people be ignorant of, of what is actually wrong and what we don't do what we could do better, what we do wrong, things like that. Um, and that, that um, we probably should have put that as a topic, the, the bills for change education, that, um, that's pretty concerning for government, like butting their way into that. And also for saying to teach an American education, quote unquote, which is kind of sounds like propaganda to me. And it's like weird. It's not something I expect from America. I mean, when I go into a history class, I want to learn the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I want to hear- no, America is great at propaganda. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear like the whole the whole truth, including the ugliness and everything like that, because otherwise you're not telling the whole story. You know what I mean? So um, and then let me take from it what I will. You know what I mean? Um, I just think you're not really doing your due diligence as an American if you don't acknowledge the areas that we failed and that we could be better. Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy how all this ties together. And, and, I, and I do agree with you that there are fixes to this. Um, I don't think that there, you always see a politician saying there's no fix to this, there's no fix to this. And I don't agree with that at all. I just think that the fixes are, are right there for, for some of this stuff, for the mass shootings, especially, there's a lot of easy things they could do, but there's so much in the way as far as like uh, political, like red tape and people, um, you know, it, it's a political issue when these things come up, taking sides and people use it to get votes or to, to rile up a base or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm cynical of anything ever being done just because of stuff like that, honestly. Yeah, you bring up also the point, like when we're in school and we're learning about American history or even word history, they kind of dot some things that like happen in history that we don't even learn about. I remember, I think I was American, not American history, word history in sophomore year. And I remember my professor, she was, I don't remember what documentary she had put on, but she had put on like a documentary about like the Japanese and during uh, what happened to the Japanese during like World War II and stuff like that. And I was kind of like shocked. I was like, wait a minute, this happened? Because it's like stuff we don't learn about. We don't learn about what the Japanese, what happened to the Japanese during World War II. We don't learn about like Vietnam War, Korean War. We don't learn about like all of these other types of like history because it's just so whitewashed. And I think even that, like some of the things we do talk about in history classes, they kind of dumb it down they don't really tell us the whole truth. They kind of give us like bits and pieces and then it's kind of like, okay, you guys learned enough. Like, that's it. Yeah, they also don't talk about all the countries that we've single-handedly helped to destabilize. <laughs> uh, it's really terrible, the lack of, um, yeah, the lack of education that we're given about our country. Because I mean, how do you, history repeats itself, right? Especially if you don't know it. So all these you know, terrible things that we've done as a country and what's to stop the government from doing it again since we're never aware about it. I was going to say too, um, a lot of this stuff about education is politicians are really mad about, uh, they're really mad about schools wanting to teach more about um, slavery and how it relates to the founding of America and things like that. And they, and they use the New York Times' uh, 1619 project as the target. And the 1619 project is, is a really interesting, really informative thing about uh, slavery and, and the origins of slavery in America and things like that. And it, it's, um, I, I read this thing from a writer named Michael Harriet on The Root. Um, and he, he went through all the textbooks of the senators who opposed the 1619 project, what they, how their history textbooks were when they were in school. And they're all like whitewashed history textbooks that talk about like, just nonsense it's like not the truth you know what i mean like a lot of them are like pretty much southern propaganda from the 50s and stuff like that so it's an interesting read if anyone wants to read it uh the, the headline is we found the textbooks of senators who opposed the 1619 project and suddenly everything makes sense so it's like you know what i mean um but yeah i, I think that we we've got off topic with this a little bit but we didn't have very many topics this week so but um yeah, it all ties together, honestly. It's definitely on topic um, because this is the lack of education is what breeds this. Okay, so um, our last topic this week is uh, the conflict in, in uh, between Israel and Palestine. Um, so they've been, this has escalated over the last week. Uh, today's been the worst day yet. I read early this morning. We're, we're recording this on a Sunday, so this might be out of date by the time anyone hears this, but... Um, I read on CNN that today uh, 43 Palestinians were killed by airstrikes and 50 more were hurt uh, according on, on Sunday. Um, and that uh, Hamas had launched a hundred more rockets, more than a hundred rockets toward Israel on Sunday today. So they consider this the deadliest day of the conflict so far. But um, 
um, the, the big thing I wanted to talk about with this was, you know, we're media and stuff. Yesterday on Saturday, uh, Israel's military bombed the Al Jala building in Gaza, which it houses at the Associated Press's Bureau and was the headquarters of Al Jazeera, which is another media network in the region. And it's also an office and an, and an apartment space for people to live in. Uh, Israel's military said that the building had housed Hamas militants, but that claim lacked evidence and was widely discredited by the AP and uh, the Al Jazeera journalists who worked in the building for many years. And I, I found some quotes from people that worked in the building. Uh, one journalist, Safwat Al-Khalout, he was a journalist for Al Jazeera, said that I've been working in this office for more than 10 years and I've never seen anything suspicious. I even asked my colleagues if they've seen anything suspicious and they all confirmed to me that they have never seen any military aspects or fighters coming in and out of the building. Uh, Gary Pruitt, who's the president and CEO of the Associated Press said that I can tell you that we've been in that building for 15 years for our bureau. We had no sense that Hamas was there. Israel faced international outrage for the bombing of this building with critics characterizing the bombing as an assault on free press and journalists in the region. Earlier this week, Israel also destroyed office buildings that contained other media outlets, more than a dozen local Palestinian outlets. Uh, Jeremy Deere, who's the Deputy, Deputy General Secretary of the International Federation of Journalists, said on Saturday that it's quite clear that this wasn't an accident. It was systemic targeting of media in Gaza in order to prevent reporting from Gaza. Uh, 188 Palestinians have died since the conflict escalated last week with more than 1,200 injured. I tried to find um, Israeli numbers as well. I know it's, um, I think it's between like 10 to like 30 or something like that. It, it was hard for me to find the numbers. I know that a substantial amount have been injured by rocket attacks as well. I don't have the number. But um, an interesting thing is that this has led to some situations here in our White House with the president. Uh, I read, read a CNN report yesterday that said that the situation has led to quote unquote disagreement in Biden's White House with vocal liberals angry at the president for not doing more to condemn human rights violations as well as not openly opposing the planned eviction of Palestinians that it reignited this conflict last week. So um, officials close to the situation say that as the violence stretches into another week, President Biden is keeping close tabs on developing efforts by regional partners, including Egypt and Qatar, to broker a ceasefire between the two countries. Um, and they said that what happens over the next three days will prove critical in terms of how and whether to ramp up pressure to end hostilities. So I wanted to ask you guys, I, I felt it was important for us to talk about this. I know this is very, um, Delicate, how do you feel about the escalation in violence this week? Do you see an end anytime soon? I know that Palestine and, and Israel have fought tons of times over the past decades. Can the Biden administration do more to put a stop to the attacks? I, I personally see this whole thing as complete waste of life. Uh, it's super, super duper destructive. I feel bad for any Palestinian who gets their house leveled or anything like that. But I, I do believe Israel has a right to defend itself if rockets are, are hitting the streets. Um, so, and, and obviously I'm not Israeli or, or, or Palestinian, so I'm ignorant of certain things as well. So, um, but I felt like it was important for us to talk about this. On the topic of rockets, uh, the rockets that Palestinians are sending over are absolutely nothing compared to what Israel is sending over. To call it self-defense, in my opinion, is kind of a joke. Um, the, the death toll is completely disproportionate. The um Israel has American-backed weapons. It has a, so like the defense that Israel has compared to Palestine. It's not even comparable. It's it's so far from comparable. Um, so for me, it's just like it's not it's not self-defense. Uh, no, I, I actually agree. Um, I I don't think the level of force that Israel is putting to this is commensurate. Like like you said, like 
everything I've read, I don't have the exact numbers, but I saw something like 95% of rocket attacks launched from Palestine are being stopped. Whereas <laughs> then Israel's going over with a fighter jet and leveling a building. And it's, it's not a commensurate, uh, fair fight is the word I would use. It's not really a fair fight. You're not too, you know, militarily equal targets standing on equal ground. And, and um, a lot of the people being killed by this are civilians and children and, and stuff like that. I see every day more kids being killed. Like there's, um, of the 188 total like official death toll that are dead, I think almost 60 of them are children. So that's about one third. And, and I, don't, I, I don't buy that children are Hamas, you know what I'm saying? So um, I do think that, you know, a lot of Israel's justification of this is on shaky ground, like to say the least, because if you, if you just look at the death tolls, like I said, you're talking about 10 to, 10 to 30 versus 1200 injured, almost 200 dead as we know right now. So um, I, I agree with you on that, that it's not a fair fight. It's, um, it's just a terrible loss of life. I, I, um, I don't know everything about this. Um, I do know that um, it's kind of an occupied state in, in Gaza right now and that they don't, they don't get the same freedoms as, uh, as Israelis do. And that the big thing that kicked this off was uh, uh, um, Palestinians being forced off of land to be occupied by um, Israelis and there's really nothing they can do. There's no recourse. And, uh, and that the area is sort of, people have referred to it as like an apartheid state where you're second class citizens and, and things like that. And, and, and from everything I've read and seen, seen uh, from reading and watching about this, I would say that's true. Uh, so it's, um, it's terrible though. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I know they, they were at war like seven years ago. I, I must not have been paying attention because I don't remember it, but um, it's, uh, I don't know what anyone can do to, to stop this because the U.S. is such big allies with Israel. We, we supply them to, to do this. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people were on Biden to say, you know, you got to condemn like human rights atrocities and attack on the press because that's your, your money is being funded to blow up these buildings and hurt children and hurt non-combatants. So uh, I just think it's every day I get more and more disappointed, honestly, like it's, but I, I will say that this is the most I've seen people condemn uh, Israel for any kind of attack like this. I've seen a lot of uh, nonpartisan media say the same thing that what we're witnessing is sort of an apartheid state, uh, not a fair fight. Um, weight like deliberate targeting of media and things like that so um i don't know i i think this is going to get worse before it gets better honestly but i don't know no yeah i totally agree that um it it's a good thing that so many people are aware of it and talking about it because i think that was um again that could be my own ignorance but i think that was lacking in the past so seeing it be such a big um topic you know, it's a good thing. It, it, awareness is a good first step. Um, and, and talking about the uh, like imbalance. So this is from Yahoo News. Um, this was published this morning. So the death toll in Palestine due to Israeli airstrikes has reached 188. Um, and then the death toll um, for Israelis is um, 10 people at this point. Um, obviously, no one deserves to die. Any death toll is not a good death toll. Um, but I think that's a really good example of how disproportionate 
it is um, and how, you know, people say that there's like a clash. And I think that's been a really big criticism of the media is that people keep calling it like a clash when a lot of people don't really view it as that because it is so imbalanced and because so many people do view it as an apartheid. Yeah, I was going to say uh, also that this area of Gaza that this fighting is centered around is, is apparently one of the most densely populated areas in the world. So you you really risk if you're Israel or, or anyone launching a, a missile or anything into that area, destroying property and killing innocent people. So it's really, I think, reckless as well to do anything like that. And, um, you know, everyone, um, the, the media thing was, was really scary to me too, because a, a lot of the journalists there said that this was, this was their way of stopping us from telling people what's happening here, telling the truth or telling the whole story, telling an unbiased story. Um, and as you've seen, like I've seen pretty much that was internationally outrage from every media outlet across the world. And um, it, it's just been crazy, man, honestly. Um, I just, I can't believe it. Like I, I've never seen nothing like this, like whole like blocks leveled. Some of the, the videos I've watched are terrible. And, and like I said, you, you, you just gave the same total 188 dead, but like, at, I think I read earlier today, 55 of those are children which is just insane to me. It's like, that's a third. So, yeah. Yeah, and just to point out really quickly too, because you mentioned like killing civilians, but intentionally killing civilians is a war crime. Like it's not just like frowned upon, that is a war crime. So kind of like to go into kind of more of like the free press type of like situation, this is how like people kind of get their news for like international stuff. Like some people will actually kind of go to these like, um, these like websites that are more based in this specific area to see like okay we're getting like the most accurate information from this specific place and stuff like that but at the same time i think it's also kind of like i think the reason there's this like whole entire like outrage is because like yes this is media but it's also kind of like they're they're there in the specific area witnessing this so they kind of have like a first kind of like a first person type of view and I feel like without that, it's kind of hard for us to kind of make a justifiable or like a truthful type of like opinion when we don't have these international media places. And I know like here in the United States, like we kind of don't really like talk about like the entire international media or bureaus that take that, um, that are located in different countries, but like without these international bureaus, we wouldn't know what would be happening in these other countries and these other states. So I feel like that's also a good like talking point about it. Oh yeah, like these uh, foreign bureaus and centers for journalists are totally essential. Cause I mean, otherwise we would just be taking people's words for it, right? You can't accurately report on something that you're not there to witness firsthand, or at least it's extremely difficult to, especially in situations where there's conflict and violence like this. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely 100%. Uh, I was going to say, too, there's some interesting numbers behind this as well. Uh, I mentioned in 2014, there was they had a war uh, Gaza in Gaza. And um, the CNN thing I'm reading said that 2,200 Gazans were killed during that fighting, and half of them were civilians, including more than 550 children. So um, like you said, that's a war crime. <laughs> you don't 
blow up non-combatants. Just point blank period, you know what I mean? That's international law. That's not country's law, that's international law. So um, this has been, I think, a terrible uh, human rights tragedy to say the least. Um, you know, um, I, I, that's just the way I feel, honestly. Um, I don't know everything about this clearly, but um, I think that it's been like a, a, a lot of the same things that everyone has said, an unfair fight, a strike on civilians, you know, a crackdown on media. It's all stuff I don't agree with. Uh, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I'm, I think I said, look how many civilians are dead. Most of them are civilians, you know, and the death tells aren't commensurate. So um, I just think it's been a terrible assault on human rights for the most part. Um, and I don't see an end to the fighting. Uh, these, these two um, factions have been fighting forever, you know, and, and, and there's, they're not going to come to an agreement. You know, you might see a ceasefire maybe. Uh, and then what would happen? I don't know after that, you know what I mean? It seems like things would bubble up again eventually, but um, I'm interested in reading more stuff from national outlets about this because this is something that I, I was pretty ignorant on before this whole thing um, opened up this week and, and blew up, so. That wraps up everything for this week's episode of You Press Play News. Tune in next week for more information and more news from us.